How about now? Am I on now? All right. <laughs> All right. Um, and so they drag him before the Supreme Court, and he has to defend himself. And when he begins his defense, he speaks uh, of the God of glory. He uses the title, the name of God, the God of glory, uh, which is a, a, a name that appears one time in the Old Testament. One time, God is referred to as the God of glory. And, and Stephen knows that, the Sanhedrin knows that, and, and knows that uh, in Psalm 29... David calls God the God of glory, and it's a psalm that very much exalts uh, the character and nature of God. And so we're going to read that psalm today, a, a psalm that, uh, that, that shows us the majesty and the glory of God that Stephen uses in his defense to show that he is not blaspheming God, but he is submitted to the God of glory, and that the, the message he is proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is consistent with God's glory. We'll break that out later in our service. So Psalm 29. A Psalm of David. Given to the Lord, O you mighty ones. Given to the Lord, glory and strength. Given to the Lord, the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you praise today because you are the God of glory. Lord, we praise you for your glory and strength. We praise you for the glory of your name. Lord, we praise you for the beauty of your holiness. We praise you that you thunder and you're over the mighty waters and that you are full of majesty. And so, Lord, we've gathered together this morning to give you praise and honor for who you are. Lord, we have gathered together to worship you and the beauty of your holiness. And God, we pray that you would help us today to guard our hearts and that we would uh, uh, be focused on adoration and praise and worship, Lord, that we would not be distracted by even our own activities or our own facility, the place where we gather, the house where we meet. Lord, that we would not be distracted by uh, anything outside of this house that might uh, divert our attention from, uh, from worship. Lord, our activities that we have planned uh, later today, later this week, the things going on in our lives, Lord, help us for these moments to focus our attention on giving you the glory, the honor that is due your name because of your splendor and your glory. And Lord, one of the things that we're reminded of this day has been set apart by some as, as Mother's Day, Lord, and we, uh, 
we recognize that this is a day that, 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 that carries so many different emotions and so many different uh, uh, feelings come to our hearts and minds when we think of mothers, Lord, and we're thankful for your provision and for uh, uh, creating uh, the human race, male and female, in your image and, and creating male and female as complementary, complementarian, and different roles in the family, Lord. And so when we think of mothers, we think of nurture and we think of care. But Lord, there are some who, who when they think of mothers, that maybe not have those feelings and have different emotions related to that, Lord. And we pray for healing to those. And, and Lord, as we, we think of Mother's Day, we, we think of those whose mothers are no longer with them and have uh, uh, passed from this life, Lord. And so for some, it can be such a time of grief and a time of remembrance and a time of... Uh, uh, of, uh, of, of, of cherishing memories. And so we pray for those who, who have experienced the loss of a mother. And Lord, others, uh, maybe there's some that we know in our circle who desperately want to be mothers and uh, have not yet had that privilege. Many have maybe lost babies in the womb through miscarriage. And today, Mother's Day is a day of grief because they desperately want to be mothers and yet that has not happened for them, been in your providence for them this time. And so for, for those, it's a time of grief. And so, Lord, we also remember mothers whose children may be prodigal. And so today is a day of grief for them as they, as they grieve over, over children that have gone astray, Lord, and are in the far country. And we pray that you would bring them to, your sense, to their senses and bring them back. And so, God, as we think of Mother's Day, we recognize that every single one of us have different feelings and different emotions related to that term and to this day. And so we pray for your comfort and peace to all. And as we go about, help us to be sensitive to those around us and the emotions that they may be feeling this day, that it's not for all a day of joy and celebration. Uh, for many, it can be a day of grief and pain. And so help us to be sensitive to that and to speak appropriate words and appropriate counsel and appropriate comfort from your word to all that we might see this day. And Lord, we again have come to offer you our worship, to offer you our praise, and also to confess our unworthiness, to confess how far we have fallen short of your holy standard Lord, how we have many times refused to give you the glory, do your name, and sought glory for our own selves. We become glory thieves and sought honor and glory for ourselves. Even maybe in coming to church and, and, and coming to a worship service, we might be thinking more about ourselves than we are about you. And so, Lord, we ask that you forgive us and, Lord, help us to forsake the sin of being a glory thief and stealing that which belongs only to you and that your spirit would empower us and enable us this day to worship you in spirit and in truth and it is in jesus name we pray amen all right i'm going to encourage you to take out your hymnals and turn with me to hymn 638 
himself. And so these, these seven Greek-speaking men were set apart. And it's interesting that Stephen was set apart for this ministry because of his uh, good reputation, his uh, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit and his wisdom. Uh, but nothing is said of his ministry of serving tables, what he was set apart to do, but he immediately began to go and speak. He had a speaking ministry, a ministry of, of uh, debating the truth of Jesus in the temple. And so this good, godly, gifted man uh, went to the temple and engaged in discussion, I mean to the synagogues, uh, the synagogue of the freemen, and, and engaged in discussion with, uh, with those who disagreed, those who had not yet come to see as the Messiah, as the Christ, is the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And those in the synagogue could not engage him with the facts. They could not engage him with the uh, uh, the truth because he had the truth that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, God the Son. Uh, they couldn't engage him in the truth, and so they began to attack him. They bribed people to lie about him. They stirred up the mob, and they drug him before the Supreme Court and the Sanhedrin, their Jewish Supreme Court, and paid false witnesses to come and make two accusations against him that he had blasphemed uh, the holy the blasphemed the holy place in the law verse 13 they set up false witnesses who said this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and against the law and previously they, they had mentioned that they we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against Chapter 7, we see Stephen's defense. And it's interesting, you know, there are a lot of sermons, a lot of speeches recorded in the book of Acts. We've already looked at several of them as we've gone through Acts. Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. We've seen these messages, and we'll see a lot more of sermons, sermons of Peter, sermons of Paul. You realize that the longest speech, the longest sermon in the book of Acts is not sermon of Peter, not a sermon of Paul, not a sermon of one of the apostles, but the speech of Stephen, one of the seven who was set apart to walk the way on tables. The longest speech is this defense that Stephen offers before the Jewish Supreme Court. And, uh, and, 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 and it's long, and we're not going to go through this in the same detail that we went through Acts chapter 2, because in, 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 in Stephen's defense, he basically makes been accused of two things, blaspheming this holy place in Moses, the temple in Jerusalem, and Moses and the law. And by doing that, they are accusing him of blaspheming God. And so we're going to look at, 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 at Stephen. Stephen answers those two charges. Stephen answers those two charges. And uh, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, he basically makes two points. And we're going to look at point number one this week, point number two next week. So what we'll do is I'm going to look at the conclusion of this sermon, uh, the, the two points that he makes, and then we'll go back through the sermon and I'll show you how he is making these two different points. So we're going to approach this passage differently than we approach a lot. We're not going to look at them, look at it with the microscope with the individual trees. We're going to look at the forest. And we're going to look at how Peter makes his defense. I mean, Stephen. Stephen makes his defense in the longest speech recorded in the book of Acts. So Stephen... Uh, stands before the Sanhedrin and he delivers this message and he brings it to his conclusion. And so I'm going to start in verse 44, the conclusion.
Acts chapter 7, verse 23. Stephen is still speaking. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers having received it in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Verse 48, point number one. However, the most high God does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Verse 51, point number two. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by direction of angels and have not kept it. So Stephen's been accused of two things. Blaspheming God, the temple, this holy place, and blaspheming Moses and the law. And his two points are you can't build a house that can contain God. God cannot be contained in a building built by hands. And the second point is you always Just as we've seen Satan oppose the church. 
the Holy Spirit and to seek recognition and pride for themselves. He had uh, put it in their hearts to rumble against one another. Satan had done everything he can to stop the church, and everything he does backfires because Jesus is building his church. Jesus is sovereign, and he's building his church, and the church is growing, and the church is exploding. So you can expect Satan to do what he can to oppose that, and we saw that with Stephen last week. They couldn't uh, argue with him on the facts. They couldn't beat him on the truth because Stephen had the truth and said he began to attack him personally and pay people to come and lie about him, and he brought them, they brought him before the Sanhedrin, before the Supreme Court, and made these accusations. This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. So those are the two accusations, the two things of which Stephen is accused, and the high priest asked him, are these things so? Have you blasphemed this holy place? And have you blasphemed the law and blasphemed Moses? Offer your defense. And so we, too, have to be in a position to be always ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. And so this, uh, as we go through this, I want you to thank you for if you are brought before the Supreme Court and asked to give a defense for the hope that is within you, would you be able to do that? Are, are, are you, are you uh, well enough instructed in the Scriptures to be able to give an answer, to give a reason for the hope that is within you? And we'll see that Stephen, Stephen uses the Scriptures to give that defense. them with the gospel and confronting them with the truth that they have become the betrayers and the murderers of the just one, the one that God has saved. So uh, as we focus on this passage, we need to think about ourselves and think about the defense that we might give if someone questions the reason for the hope that is within us. How might you answer that? And we'll see that Stephen answers it from the scriptures. So two accusations. Blasphemy this holy place, the temple in Jerusalem, and you blaspheme Moses in the law. Today we'll look at the first of those uh, charges and how Stephen gives his defense. And we see that Stephen uses his defense that uh, you have made Jerusalem and you have made the temple into an idol. You have tried to put God in a box. You have built this house for God with your hands and you have put God in that box and you have put all of your hope and all of your comfort and all of your faith in this building and you call it a holy place and you think by going to that holy place you are doing that which is pleasing to God you're doing that which is acceptable to God and as long as God is in that box you can manipulate him for your own desires and your own purpose and you can go and, and, and do the services at the temple and be accepted by God. And as long as God is in that box, you believe that he is present with you and there to bless you. The people of Stephen's day had made the temple into a time. They valued the temple more than they valued the God of the temple and the God of heaven and all the earth and the God of the universe. Their hope, their faith, confidence was in the building and not the God of the building. And so Stephen answers that by saying, you know what? God, and he, and he quotes 
Isaiah. Well, guess what? 
city? Stephen says, no, God appeared to Abraham way over there, part of the Jewish God appeared to the Jewish God was there to not just the Jewish And so, then, uh, and also there, he's been accused of blasphemy in the law, but notice in verse 8, before the law came, before Moses, they already had obedience, and they had the covenant of Abraham, and so so Stephen, being accused of blasphemy, Moses is here showing us the supremacy of the covenant with Abraham over the covenant of Moses. The covenant that God spoke to Abraham in Haran in Genesis chapter 12. He promised that he would bless him, even though he had no soil and no son. He would give him land. He would give him descendants. And he also promised him that he would be a blessing. That God would bless him. That God would bless those who bless them, that God would curse those who curse them, and that through Abraham, God would bring a blessing to all nations. So they had that covenant, they had that promise from God before they And even though they had no law, that faith in God, the God of glory, was to be passed down from generation to generation to generation in obedience to the word that God had spoken to Abraham in Mesopotamia and Haran, far from Jerusalem, where there was no So the foundation of the faith was attacked in God's covenant in Abraham before there ever was a Jerusalem or a temple there. So number one, God cannot be limited to a box. He is not limited to one place or one, or one building. He spoke to Abraham in Mesopotamia. God spoke and God manifested his presence. Verse 9, the patriarchs beginning it being empty, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But what does the rest of verse 9 say? But God was with him. God was not limited to Jerusalem. He's not limited to a house. He was way out there east, far away from Jerusalem and Mesopotamia. Not only that, he is way out west from Jerusalem in the land of Egypt. Joseph goes into Egypt, and guess what? God is with him. God is not limited to a building in Jerusalem. God was with Joseph in Egypt and delivered him out of his troubles, gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor. And we'll talk more about this next week. But uh, all the descendants of Jacob come to Egypt. And look at verse 17. But the time of the promise drew near which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Even though they were oppressed, even though they were in bondage, even though they were slaves, God was with them in Egypt, and they grew and they multiplied there. God made them into a mighty nation, even though they were slaves. Where did that happen? That did not happen in Jerusalem. It did not happen where there was a temple. It happened way over there in Egypt where there were only pagan temples, and it was far away from Jerusalem. God is the God of all the universe. He was over in Mesopotamia. He's over here in Egypt blessing and working with his people. Do not put God in a box and not believe that he is in a building in Well, not only that, not only was he with his, did he manifest himself to Abraham in Mesopotamia, was he with his people in Egypt, multiplying them into a mighty nation? Well, then, 
another place that God manifested himself and even called it a holy place. That's down in verse 30. When 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. God lifted over the tabernacle, what did they do? They packed it up. 
four on the move. And God moved in the midst of his people when the clouds settled. They stopped. They erected the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. They set up camp and they stayed until the glory lifted again. It was over. And it went with them all through the wilderness for 40 years. It came into, uh, uh, they brought it into the land. Verse 45, our fathers, having received in turn, also brought with Joshua to the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked him to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob and Solomon. 450 years after they had been in the land, finally, something had been there. 450 years, God's been in a tent.
yes, we must worship together.
the first meeting place was when God's people were on the move. So we come together to worship and we come together to be encouraged and to be comforted and confronted with the Word of God. But we also come together to be equipped to go and to be on the move to go out. God's people were on the go. They were on the move. And God was in their midst as they moved, as they wondered. Abraham was a sojourner. He did not have any soil, not even enough ground on his uh, of that land to put his foot. He was on the move, and God was with him. His people moved to Egypt. God was with them. They moved to the wilderness. God was with them. And now he told these disciples, what did he tell them right before he ascended into heaven? Go. As you are going, God's people are to be a people on the move. We're not tied to a location, to a building. God's people are to be on the move, on the go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything. 